Welcome back, everyone, uh, to the 2016 LAC seminar. We're in the final session, home stretch. Uh, my name is Craig Falcon. I'm chairing the session. Um, don't worry, I'm not presenting. I don't know anything about the topics. Um, you may know I'm from a life background. Uh, the first topic, uh, there's going to be two topics. It's 90 minutes, and we'll have uh, questions at the end of the 90-minute session. So just keep your questions uh, for the end. The first topic is the business of analytics, uh, which is by Previn Burra. Previn is, he must be very organized because he already included his uh, sort of background in his slides, so I don't need to say too much more. I did find a bit of information on LinkedIn. Um, he's from Durban, like all good people, Previn. And uh, I'm also from Durban. <laughs> um, he finished his studies in the UK and then he's obviously come back to South Africa. Uh, I don't know if he still supports the Sharks, um, but if he doesn't, uh, I won't hold it against, against him. Uh, Pravin, uh, when I first met him, probably 10 or 20 or 20 years ago, he was working as a life stats directory. So he's moved from life into banking and uh, now into analytics, hence uh, his topic, interest in his, in his topic. Uh, so without further ado, Pravin, welcome to the podium. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I must say more of you stayed behind than I expected. Okay, so um, just by way of background, I'll, I'll skip the, the, C, the CV part of the slide. I think that was more for the intros. Um, I'll, I've, I've been a consulting actuary and an actuary for many years. Um, if I talk to all the things I've done, I'll give away my age. Um, but a large part of that time, I was actually a consultant. And when I was a consultant, I would deal a lot with technical teams, um, actuaries and any statistical teams in some of the wider fields work, as well as with the finance directors. And for me, there was a common theme and a common conversation that happened pretty much with every one of my clients. And, and that typically went along the lines of the finance director saying, well, we have these clever people, usually pointing to his actuaries or his statistical unit, and saying, but why don't they help us to make more money for the business? And then I'd, when we got into the work, I'd spend a lot of time with the technical unit, and bearing in mind I was the consultant, um, they'd basically complain after we've had some time to bond, saying, but we are here, why does the FD still go out and hire a whole bunch of consultants? And for me, that's kind of what I'd like to talk to a little bit, is how people in this room have wonderful skill sets. Um, I'm still a very big fan of the actuarial training. The challenge is how do we actually leverage that training um, for not just risk management, but for financial good and for commercial good, and also for the consumer good, believe it or not. Um, and, and so what I'd like to talk about here is just some of the techniques and methods that I've used over the years to try and get to a business value add, as well as then spending a fair bit of time talking about use cases for analytics, uh, specifically in life insurance. Okay, so the, the first thing fundamentally about analytics is life is not about analytics, it's about business. Um, we all belong to financial organizations, um, barring anyone who's doing charitable work. And ultimately business comes down to two things. Are you aware of what's happening in your business and can you execute on it? It's understand and act. Um, everything you do in a business fundamentally comes down to that. 
And analytics ultimately is around both of those. It's around the understanding of what's happening in your business, what's happening in your customer base, what's happening in your market, and then choosing the optimal method to act that gives you the desired outcome that you want. It's a test and learn environment, but fundamentally everything comes down to those two things. Understand the problem and then act on the problem. The other question that I get asked by everyone is, but aren't you worried that this fintech is going to come in and eat your lunch? Um, aren't you worried that someone's going to come in and there won't be a need for a bank or there won't be a need for an insurance company, etc.? Um, and I have a view on that. My view is fundamentally reality never changes. People, if you take the Uber example, people are here, they need to go there. How they do it might change, how we facilitate that might change, who makes the margin might change. But fundamentally, reality never changes. People are here, they need to go there. If we take the healthcare example, people need health insurance. What Vitality did was change the business model around the value proposition and around the risk drivers. But they didn't change the fundamental, which is that people need risk protection for medical and for health. So for me, fundamentally, anyone's business, the reality of what people need, what people do, never changes. So I now work for a bank. People have a need to save money, borrow money, and transfer money. That is unlikely to change. How they do it may change totally. But the fundamentals never change. Uh, the particular picture that I've got in the graphic there is something called the business model canvas. Um, one of the few management consulting icons or pictures that I like. Um, it just talks to different parts of a business. And for me, again, from an analytics perspective, it's how is your analytics influencing those relationships within your business? Because if it's not, then why do you believe it's adding value? Okay, I won't give you a definition of big data, but there's a lot of buzzwords around big data. And big data is not about the buzzwords. Yes, we all want more data. Yes, we all want faster, bigger computers. Yes, yes, yes to all of those things. But fundamentally, big data is about what you do with it. Um, I remember coming to one of these conventions early in my career and there was a discussion about what is an actuary. And the answer came back was, one of the answers tabled was, an actuary is what an actuary does. And for me, the same applies to big data. Big data is what big data does. It's, it's what you do with the information, it's what you do with the data that actually defines the value of big data. So don't focus on big data as a topic. Focus on the application of analytics and data to solving real problems. That's where the value lies. And so for me, if you want to get value from big data, start with what is the burning platform for your business? Every business has one. If you don't, you're not trying hard enough. Every business is under pressure somewhere. What is the burning platform? What is the problem you want to solve today? From a customer perspective, why you? Why your organization? What makes you special? And from an analytics perspective, how can we help define that? How can we help deliver the what's special? And ultimately, what is your wow factor as of your organization and of your team in your organization? What makes you guys so special in your organization and what makes your organization so special to your customer base? And then what is your growth plan for your organization? If you can start by answering some of those questions, it will automatically give you a number of business problems that you can solve using data and analytics. So start with what is your business? What is your issues? 
and try and answer those using data. And you'll quickly find a number of applications for analytics. Again, try not to use the word big data. Okay, enough with the background. Let's look at some interesting things that people are doing with data and analytics. Um, I looked at a number of use cases, common ones. This is probably a tip of the iceberg in terms of applications. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'll probably touch on about half of them. Um, anyone who spends an hour on, on Google can probably find a, a few thousand more. Um, so I'm just going to touch on a few practical ones that I've actually seen being used myself in practice. Okay, so the first life insurance example I'd like to talk about is something called the MetLife Wall. It's, it's pretty much deals with getting customer information into one place. Um, so MetLife, for those of you who don't know, is a large international insurance company. Um, a lot of the information I'm quoting comes from the internet. They are quite famous for something called the MetLife Wall. The MetLife Wall is their customer 360. It basically, according to the internet, they had 70 admin systems. And what they did was they aggregated all their data using analytic techniques and data management techniques into one place. And they've created a, a unified view of the customer and they use that unified view to drive business performance. Um, according to them, this together with a number of other applications has led to a plus 10 on their net promoter score. So it's helped improve customer service. Um, we've done a POC of this in the year that I've been at the bank. We, we've taken, historically banks were organized on product silos. Um, we took the data across products and put it together and created a, a view of the customer across product holdings. The feedback for us from channel has been tremendous. It just helps have a, a much better conversation with customers. We've currently are testing it with the relationship managers just in the, the private banking space because it's easier to, to test it there. And we've found very good positive uptick in sales that we were not expecting uh, or better result than we were expecting. And that's just in a POC environment. So it, it's not something that takes forever. MetLife says that they took three months to do this. Um, anyone in South Africa has got 70 admin systems. I suppose it depends on where you start. Um, so I don't believe the three months. But fundamentally, it doesn't matter how big your organization is. You can do this in under a year. Get your data from across all touch points around the customer. Get it into one place. Um, it just enables you to have much better conversations with your customer. It also lets you do other cool things like market better, generate leads better, um, understand share of wallet better, and then it gives you a, a wonderful data set for the rest of your analytics. Because then every time you're doing other analytics, like churn for example, you don't have to go and collect data from 70 systems, you now have it in one system. So for those of you who haven't yet, I would suggest Google the MetLife wall. There's some interesting PowerPoint decks on the internet um, that actually go into a fair bit of detail as to what they've done. It's actually a very nice example. So I would summarize this type of example as a customer 360 or as a single view of customer, although they use it as a basis, as I said, for marketing, for customer experience, um, and a number of other things. Okay, the second one, and this is one of my favorites, I've been a recent convert to this, is customer segmentation. So if you think about data, and actuaries have been doing segmentation for years, we've done mortality by age, sex, um, percentage extra mortality, loading, smoker status, we've been doing this for, for a long time. But fundamentally as humans, our brain only goes so far. Um, so I can tell you that I like pasta. Does that mean that Indians like pasta? Or is it because I'm a vegetarian that I like pasta? or maybe actuaries like pasta. So we can get characteristics and we can get flags, but 
when we get this from hundreds and thousands of people, then we can isolate the root causes and the commonalities and what's not common. The problem is with traditional methods is firstly, the human brain cannot deal with more than a few parameters at a time. The moment you start getting into hundreds of parameters or even thousands, and I've seen one or two examples with a few thousand parameters in them, it's impossible for, the, for us to fathom at a, I call it the English level, what's actually going on in the data. Um, also, most data is non-linear. So when you start getting lots and lots of parameters, a lot of the relationships are non-linear. So logistic regressions and things start becoming cumbersome. So then machine learning techniques and other non-parametric techniques become very powerful. What they fundamentally do is they create heat maps across every parameter and across customers, almost creating a Euclidean distance between um, data points. And then you can look at clusters and say, what's interesting about this cluster? What's interesting about that cluster? It's actually very powerful because when you're looking at behavior, um, and I move from a risk role into a customer-centric role, um, when you want to try and understand people, you want to understand them versus a peer group. But again, how do you derive a peer group? It's a fundamental problem. And, and this type of tool to run the algorithms actually runs typically in less than a day once you've got the data. And then you probably can spend a month unpacking what the heat maps tell you. Um, and then you obviously typically want to validate it using focus groups, etc. Um, it's, it's amazing the stories that come out of data that you would, would never come into your experience. Okay, churn is another example that I've seen often used. So we all spend a fortune on customers. When you did any of the advanced topics in actuarial studies, it tells you it's cheaper to keep a customer than to acquire a new customer. Um, we've all done lapse modeling. Churn modeling is growing purely because of the value it adds to business. And yes, we may have minimal data in a life insurance contract, but when you join that with social media data, with servicing data, with claims data, with multiple product holdings data, even with geographic data. Um, so for example, in the US, there's been a lot in the last month where their latest mortality studies show that if you're rich, it doesn't matter where you live, but if you're poor, it does matter in which province you live, or state, as they call it, you live. Um, so again, there's lots of variables that you can get about customers and, and applying big data techniques, firstly to scrub them from the net, secondly to scrub them from your communications, text mining, etc. Then to, to look at drivers and segmentation. There's a number of, of analytical cases, machine learning cases to use churn, to, to do real-time modeling on churn. Um, real-time applications of churn, people often ask me, why would you want to do real-time on churn? But Often the cause of a churn event is a specific conversation, a specific point of bad service. Um, an insurance example I saw from the US is that when people w pull their policy document from the internet, there's a high correlation with them comparing quotes. So you don't just compare your, the, the premium rate, you also compare the policy terms. So in the US, they found a one of the, the insurers found a high correlation with people querying their policy conditions, so drawing their policy document online and, and then visiting a broker. And you want to know that as quickly as possible. Also, if someone's applied for a cover, an existing product customer has applied for cover and you've declined him, you want to know that quickly so that you can have a conversation to make sure why is there alternate cover that he can have. Um, if a customer's had a claim and, he has, and, he, and he's been declined for the claim. So in a life case, fortunately, that's not an issue. But for those of you that do any um, health or sickness or in any, any of the, the benefits that give rise to multiple contingencies, um, 
you want to know that quickly so that you can re-engage with the customer quickly, even if it's just to explain to him the reason behind the decision and what can he do better next time to make sure that he doesn't have a, a rejection in the future. So recent events are often drivers of emotion and you want to know them as quickly as possible. So the real-time application is both from pulling it from service points within your organization as well as from the internet. If someone is starting to slander you for bad service on the internet, you want to know that quickly because it affects not just their experience but their friends' experiences. Um, sorry, the one that I didn't mention, I just want to touch on one, one more thing with churn. Uh, an application that I've seen for big data in churn is actually a segmentation application. So having decided you want to model churn and having modeled the propensity to churn, you want to model the customer segment that has the highest proportion of people who churn because you don't want to waste money contacting people who are not likely to churn because if they weren't thinking about it before, they're going to think, hmm, why didn't I think of that? Um, so you actually could prompt churn by contacting the wrong customers. Um, also, you may want to build a model that based on lifestyle and lifestyle characteristics predicts the propensity to respond to your intervention around churn. Because some customers will respond and other customers will not. So you actually reduce the cost of the campaign by targeting only those customers who are likely to respond. So again, just in churn, which sounds like a simple thing, firstly you have the propensity to churn, then you have the customer segment that has the highest proportion of churners, and then you have the likelihood to respond to a specific intervention around churn. Customer journey mapping for me is, is really fascinating. So in the traditional world, in the marketing world, in organizational design, you typically get a number of business people into a room and you'd map out a customer's journey. How would a customer affect something? How would I apply for a new policy? How would I go through the medical underwriting? If I came in and did this, would I then do that? And you'd map the service points and the customer's life stage through the data. And that's wonderful and great and that's how you design life. Reality seldom works like that what would happen is someone would submit a disability claim and that disability claim might be sorted in one day, might be sorted in three months, might take five years to be finalized if it's an expensive PHI claim. Um, what customer journey mapping from an analytics perspective provides the opportunity for is to say to the extent that you've got a digital footprint for every touch point. So if the customer phoned your call center or he phoned your case manager, is there a log from the call center? If the customer submitted a claim, is there a log? If the customer submitted his underwriting at application stage, is there a log? By analyzing those logs using sequential analytics, you can actually see patterns that lead to outcomes. So for example, if I use a PHI example, which claims take a long time to be resolved? Looking at the logs of the service touch points, you can actually see statistical correlations between particular treatment protocols or processing protocols that give rise to longer solutions. So you can pick a business outcome, why this claim took long to be processed, or which claims give rise to exceptional uh, medical costs for underwriting at application stage, but actually the claims are unrelated to those medical conditions, or what, gives what service points give rise to compla customer complaints. Working backwards from those flags and, and looking at the actual history of customer interactions, you can find service bottlenecks or service optimization opportunities. Again, the statistics around this, um, you can actually download the algorithms off the internet. Um, the first thing and the difficult thing is obviously first to collect the data of, of your touch points. Often you'll find the data is not available on first instance, but often if you look to the system logs of your admin systems, you'll find a lot of it is actually there. So it's just a question of writing a text translation to convert it to English, and then you can use it. 
but it's, it's phenomenally useful around customer service and, and the resolution of problem points. Um, the voice of customer. So a lot of people talk about text and sentiment mining, etc. And, and I must be honest, I find it amazingly fascinating. Um, the tools that are available now for its actual analysis, analysis are amazing. So every tweet ever is probably available um, for scrubbing without any issue whatsoever. Yeah, that includes South African tweets, by the way. Um, Facebook and LinkedIn and a few of the other platforms, there's legal requirements and permissions, etc. But fundamentally, if you look at blogs, um, publications, tweets, Facebook, if, you give, if people give you permission, there's actually tons of information, even in South Africa. So what we did was look at what people were saying in the public domain about our bank versus another bank. And we found a difference in hobbies along certain things. So some of them um, prefer sport, some of them prefer wine, some of them prefer soccer, some of them prefer cricket. And you can actually see that from the tweets of our customers versus customers of other banks, um, which actually then can influence, for example, the design of your loyalty scheme or your marketing campaign, for example. Um, it also, for example, is, is tremendously powerful when there's a disruptor that emerges in your market. So if a new company opens, you'll immediately see tweets from their customers versus your customers. If someone else gets a proposition that's attractive to your customers, you'll see information around it. If people are complaining around your service, you'll see information around it. So it's actually amazingly powerful to watch. What I've put up there is just a simple picture um, from the previous American campaign. Um, the one around Donald Trump I didn't think would pass muster in terms of uh, being age appropriate. Um, but, I mean, this was what people were saying on the internet around uh, Mitt Romney and his previous campaign. And what's nice about some of these modern tools is it actually does the analysis for you, it accesses all the data for you, and then it summarizes it in terms of key themes and then sub-themes. So the, the big circle, the fat circle in the middle, is the key themes, and then the outer circle is the um, sub-themes. And what we could see from looking at this is people didn't like his negative marketing campaign. But again, to do this sort of thing is actually amazingly easy given the tools at the disposal of people today. Where actuaries, again, I think bring a wonderful skill set is not just the ability to do these, but to join the patterns between this and other behaviors and to create a systematic framework for the analysis and, and joining of this and then the value extraction of it. And then by applying the actuarial control cycle to measure and improve, a lot of companies I find are able to implement these tools very quickly. What they're not able to do is extract the value from these tools. There's quite a big difference. And what the actuarial control cycle does by measurement, learn, repeat, um, helps you to extract value from a lot of these techniques. In terms of pillars of success, so if you want to try and do this in your organization, where would you want to start? Um, quadrants of focus. So this is what I did. So I joined Standard Bank um, exactly a year ago. And one of the first things we did was we looked for banking analytical use cases. Every one of those bubbles, and yeah, you can see the lighter ones. Every one of those bubbles refers, a, refers to a number of use cases that were published. So we looked at academic journals, marketing material from vendors, from consultants, etc. Every one of those bubbles refers to a use case. So some of them are churn, some of them are pricing, some of them are risk management, some of them are early warnings for credit. And what we did was we said, what was the average uplift for those use cases. So we looked at five companies that did this technique. What did they each publish their uplift as being? We took the average of those 
and we applied it to the size of our book, and we said that's the size of the bubble. So the size of the bubble is the potential size of the value for our organization. It's not an absolute because every organization is different. It depends on your maturity prior to the exercise, your particular market, and how well you execute and all the rest. But fundamentally, if, if five companies got a 5% uplift, it's a safe assumption to start that you'll get a 5% uplift, give or take a little bit. So what we did is, we, the first thing we did is we tried, we took multiple use cases from literature, applied the percentages uplifts to those use cases to our books, and that gave us the size of the bubbles. We then looked at the bubbles and said, okay, for that use case, how easy is it for us to apply it in our organization? Do we have the data for it? Do we have the maturity for it? Do we have the business will? Because it's pointless doing the analytics if we're not going to execute on it. And that gave us the the matrix for alignment with strategy. Again, it's subjective, but we got two or three people in a room and, and put a subjective weight in terms of alignment with strategy. Um, and, and we looked at ability to execute. So alignment with group strategy, alignment with ability to, strat to execute, and that gave us basically the two, the two axes that you see. The size of the bubble was the opportunity. And then looking at that, we focused, we decided to focus on the three big shaded in dots that you see there, and those are the three analytical use cases that my team are busy with at the moment. So it, it gives us a point to start focusing that hopefully will we'll give bang for buck. So it's a simple process, logical, hopefully means that we, we, we have less wheel spin and more value faster. Okay, the second thing I would say is learn more techniques. You'll hear a lot about machine learning, you'll hear about big data, etc. If you go onto the internet, go onto Coursera, there's tons of free learning available on these things. Um, in, I did this talk last week in Cape Town and someone asked, but are, do actuaries have the appropriate techniques? And I would say out the box, no. But what actuaries have is the ability to learn these techniques phenomenally fast. They're not in and of themselves particularly complex. Um, and you don't necessarily need to be able to do the maths behind all these techniques. Um, again, if you use the example of a statutory actuary, he doesn't necessarily do the stochastic modeling for his capital. Um, but he can go out and get someone in his team who can do that. So if you look through these techniques, look through some of the academic stuff on the net, you can decide which ones you want the skill for in your team. Find someone in the market. I'd suggest get a contractor first. Let them try a technique. If it generates value, build that capability in your team. There's too many techniques out there for you to do all. Link them back to your use cases that will give you business value. Um, try them. If they give value, then operationalize them. It's a low-cost, quick way to, to get benefit. Um, know your dance partners. This is very important. Fundamentally, think and act. Understand and act was where I started. Um, those are different skill sets and have huge dependencies. So if you actually want the analytics that you do to be used in practice, you've got to decide who are your partners. Who is the customer within your organization and the end customer? Um, is business going to apply the techniques that, and, the, and, the, and the propensities and the statistics that you generate? Because you, you need a business unit that's going to execute on whatever you do. So find a business unit, engage with a few. You'll find some have more appetite than others. Work with the ones who are keen. Once you prove value, other people will come asking for your services. You need IT to execute. Um, in the case of marketing analytics, for example, if a customer calls the call center, you want an offer ready for that customer instantaneously. Um, you talk, if a customer logs onto your website, you want a targeted message for that customer in microseconds. So you have a high dependency on IT, so find the right sponsors in IT to work alongside you for execution. Um, you obviously need to work with the data team and get the right data team, and, and fundamentally you need to get the gel across your team. Um, what we found that works very well, a bank is a huge place, and what we found that works very well is getting four or five people into a room for the duration of the project and letting them just execute the project together, 
fix the bugs together, and it works. So to try and actually do, you can do the analytics in one team, but if you actually want to operationalize anything, get the people into a room as a team, and you find you'll get execution much, much quicker. And that's pretty much it from my side. Um, just the last slide is a quote from a, a survey done by a company called Crowdflower, where they asked a whole bunch of data scientists, not actuaries, what would be the single thing that you would like to see changing in your organization? And the answer came back was, well, actually, we'd like to see clear, clearer goals. What does business actually want us to do? Okay, Craig, I think you wanted to do questions at the end. Yeah, do at the end.